Uh, guys, let's get right into the word. Let's get right into the word. We're here to hear from the Lord. And we're going to ask three questions. Three questions that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me or people? Sorry. And then the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me. And that's what we're going to commit to today. We're going to commit to reading the word and to hear from the Lord. And so, uh, and, and so I'd ask that you would prayerfully consider that as well. Uh, because again, the Lord speaks to each and every one of us in a unique way. But I'm giving you an opportunity today to eavesdrop on my time as I reflect on the word. So I'm sharing this along with you as I reflect on the word today. So let's pray to get started. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are with us today. Lord, I thank you that, um, Lord, you meet us right where we are. Lord, you are Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us in our reading of the word. Lord, let it not just be Lord, our own uh, worldly wisdom or our own intellectual facility or our own um, um, intellectual ability, but, Father, that you would speak to us. Lord, attend to our hearts, not simply tantalize our mind. And I ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So, Second Chronicles chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 1, and I want you to journey through that scripture with me. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was in Egypt, where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. That Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Then they sent for him and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father has made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he has put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, Come back to me after three days. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And when they spoke to him, saying, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who, you, who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to the people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you. Sorry, family. My page. Uh, verse 11. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Jeroboam on the third day, as the king directed, saying, Come back to me the third day. Then the king answered them roughly. King Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders. Hmm. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father 
made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people, for the turn of events was from God, that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he had spoken by the hand of Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now when all of Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? Have we no inheritance in the son of Jesse? Every man to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So all Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel, who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent to Hadarim, who was in charge of revenue. But the children of Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Hmm. Now when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled from the house of Judah and Benjamin 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your brethren. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from attacking Jeroboam. So Rehoboam dwelt in Jerusalem and built cities for defense in Judah. And he built Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethzer, Saka, Adullam, Gath, Meresha, Ziph, Adoraim, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajalon, and Hebron, which are in Judah and Beth and Benjamin, sorry, fortified cities. And he fortified the strongholds and put captains in them, stores of food and oil and wine. And in every city he put shields and spears and made them very strong, having Judah and Benjamin on his side. And from all and from all their, ter their territories, the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel stood there stand with him. For the Levites had left their common lands and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them from serving the priests to the Lord. And he appointed for himself priests for the high places, for the demons, and the calf idols which he had made. And after the Levites left, those from all the tribe of Israel, such as set their heart to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years, because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. Then Rehoboam took for himself a wife, Mahalath, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David, Abihail, the daughter of Eliah, the son of Jesse, and he bore him children, Jeush, Shemariah, Shemariah, and Zaham. After he took Makah, the granddaughter of Absalom, he bore Abijah, Atai, Ziza, and Shelamith. Now Rehoboam loved Makah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives and his concubines. For he took 18 wives and 60 concubines, and begot 28 sons and 60 daughters. And Roboam appointed Baijah, the son of Maka, as chief, to be leader among his brothers. 
for he intended to make him king. He dealt wisely and dispersed some of his sons throughout all the territories of Judah and Benjamin. To every fortified city, he gave them provisions in abundance. He also sought many wives for them. Now it came to pass, when Robam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all of Israel along with him. And it happened in the fifth year, King Rehoboam, sorry, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord with 1,200 chariots, 600, sorry, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Libim, the Sukkim, and the Ethiopians. And he took fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah, who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, You have forsaken me, and therefore I also have left you in the land of Shishak. So the elders, sorry, so the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. Now, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, They have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they will be his servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. And Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place, committed them to the hands of the captains of the guards who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Wherever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. When he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him, so as not to destroy him completely. And things went well in Judah. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama, an Ammonitess. And he, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Hmm. The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemaiah the prophet and of Edu the seer concerning genealogies? And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. Hmm. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, Abijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel the Gibeah, of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah said the battle in order with the army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zemaraim, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, and said, Hear me, Jeroboam, and all of Israel. 
should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against the Lord. Hmm. Then worthless rogues gathered to him and strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David, and you are a great multitude. And with you are the gold calves which Jeroboam made for you as gods. Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourselves priests like the peoples of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may be a priest of things that are not gods? But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have forsaken him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attend to their duties. And they burn to the Lord every morning and every burnt offering, sorry, every burnt sacrifice and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure gold table and the lampstand of gold with its lamps to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now look, God himself is with us as our head and his priests with surrounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you. O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front of Judah and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around to their surprise, the battle was at the both the front and rear, and they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all of Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand, and Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus, the children of Israel were subdued at that time. And the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its villages, Jeshanah with its villages, Ephraim with its villages. So Jeroboam did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him and he died. But Abijah grew mighty, married 14 wives, and begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. Now the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are written in the annals of the prophet Iddo. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days, the land was quiet for 10 years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord God, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. 
He had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore, he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers, gates, and bars while the land is yet before us. Therefore, we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. And also had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears and from Benjamin 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came to Marasha. So Asa went out against him and they sent troops in battle array in the valley of Zephatha in Marisha. Us, <clears throat> Marisha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many of many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the, Opian, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them in Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. They then defeated all the cities of Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off sheep and camels in abundance and returned to Jerusalem. Last chapter. 15. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to them, Hear me, Asa, and all Benjamin and Judah. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. And when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and brought him, he was found by them. And those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land, so the nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity, but you be strong. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work will be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from all the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all, the, all Judah and Benjamin and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. 
And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls, 700 sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting trumpets and ram's horns. And Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And he removed Makkah, the son of Asa, the king, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it at Brook Kidron. But all the high places were not removed from Israel. Neither the heart of Asa was loyal all his days. He also brought into the house of the Lord the kings that the, the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. I'm tempted to finish with Asa. I'm going to read the last chapter, chapter 16. And then I got a few thoughts that I want to talk about. Verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out and come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded king Asa and sent captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they attacked Aishon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. Now it happened, when Baasha heard it, that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took Judah, and they carried away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for building. And with them he built Geba and Mizpah, at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your land. Were the Ethiopians and the Libum not a huge army, with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet you relied on the Lord, and he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Note, that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. 
And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became distressed, or sorry, Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in his 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which they had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in a mixture of ointments. They had made a very great burning for him. The word of God. If we were to do a biblical anthropology of the book of First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, you would see that this, that the story of the children of Israel, that the story of the children of Israel shouldn't be seen through uh, in a vacuum you would see that the story of the children of Israel take part in a larger story and in a larger, more broad story of human history. Israel is a part of a bigger story, and it's often easy in the grand history of the world that you will be tempted to miss out on the history of the story of Israel because Israel is a small nation. They're not that big. They're not an impressive people. Not in this time. Um, They're not incredibly resourced. Um, They don't have this large global influence, political influence, economic influence. You don't hear much about the children of Israel, yet you hear about particular people. What the scriptures tell us about particular people in the text, like for example, Solomon, who people from around the world, magistrates, kings from around the world came to see him. But Israel itself wasn't a large nation. It was a huge nation. It was a nation that was easy to overlook in the story of world history, which I think is in part why when you study any form of anthropology or human history or world history, that the history of Israel tends to be left out for many reasons. Um, One, they're small, but two, they're, part, they're peculiar. Israel was just a peculiar nation. They were different. Um, the way they saw the world was different. The way they operated was different. Their decisions were governed by rules and systems that were just different. They were different. And of course, we know why, because again, they were given a law that compel them to live lives of holiness. And when we take when we when we say holiness, we're not talking about holiness as they talk about in churches. Or they talk about holiness in the terms of be good, be pure, be right, 
dress a certain way, talk a certain way, don't have tattoos, make sure you wear a dress, don't wear a hat, you know, um, ladies have your head covered, you know, that, you know, holiness movements tend to be reflective of how you dress, how you look, how you act. It's a form of morality. Okay. Um, it's a form of morality. It's, it's, it's a morality in and of itself, which is why different churches have different definitions of holiness, which that's another conversation for another day. But they were a holy people in that they were distinct. They were different. They, they, they lived lives of distinction. They were different. The way they performed their sacrifices was different. The way they saw the world was different. The way they perceived governments and institutions were different. These were people who were governed by law. This is the first time that this happens where you have a people that have been governed by what they would, what at least secularists would say is a higher ideal, right? They were governed by something that, that went beyond themselves, which was different because up until that time, those who were considered divine were those of royalty, the magistrates, those who were in position, the powers that be. It was the, the emperors and the, the kings. They were the ones who were seen as divine. And yet the way Israel governed itself was fundamentally different than the rest of the world because Israel didn't see their kings as divine, but saw their kings as servants of a greater kingdom. Israel was different. And Israel is distinct. And what I like that that the author of Chronicles does is, is that the author of Chronicles at least gives us a peek into how Israel fits within the story of world history. And so we see other nations and we see the tensions that are happening between Israel and the other nations. Particularly speaking, we see continued tension between Israel and, and, and Ethiopia, which, as you've noticed here, um, based on when this was written or at the time that this had transpired, not when it was written because it was written about a century after these events actually had transpired. This was just a reminder of things that we have read or will read because, again, Chronicles is, is the last book really written in the Old Testament, but it finds itself or written among the Old Testament texts, which I'll get there in a minute, but it finds itself here in this particular um, um, part of the Bible. And, and again, we can talk about why it's here and not at the end of the scriptures, but we're not here to talk about the organization of the canon of scripture. However, um, we see though that at the time that this has transpired, that there are other nations of great power and in every sense had much greater military and economic power than Israel did. Um, case in point, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, from what we see, and we see this in Egyptian history as well, was a, an, a powerful nation. Um, they were a nation of economic power, of military power, of economic might and military might, and by consequence, political power and political authority. Ethiopia wasn't to be played with, and Ethiopia at this time had established its own empire, and here they are looking to expand their empire throughout Egypt and now into Israel. And so we see now the African, you know, the, the, 
we see African influence in the story. We see how um, the, the story of the children of Israel comes at odds with the African powers, that there are powers here uh, in question. And yet Israel, who finds himself in a place where they are less resourced, they have less power, less capacity, less ability, that they face this great African army, this great Ethiopian army. And what does Asa do? Asa prays. <laughs> you know it's real when you confront an enemy that is so mighty that you don't have an answer. All you have is a prayer. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about. When you find yourself in a situation where you count your resource and you count the thing that's going up against you and realizing that you don't have the resource, the strength, the ability, nor the capacity to actually overcome the particular thing that you're facing. Have you ever faced some battles and some challenges that you look and you go, I got no answer for this. It might be financial. It might be relational. It might be marital. But when you find yourself confronting an army of a million and all you have is an army of thousands and you look and you see that great African force coming at you realizing that there's nothing you can do by your strength and by your might. All you got left in you is a prayer. This is where Asa finds himself in the text. Is Asa's been given the kingdom of Judah, which is on the south, making Judah more susceptible to the African, uh, the African infiltration because, again, Israel's in the north, Judah is in the south. Judah and Israel are split. We just read through that. We've read this before. And yet this is a recount, but we're seeing a different perspective of the recount because what Chronicles is doing is, is if kings told us that these weren't the kings, what Chronicles is going to tell us is why they weren't the kings. I want you, I want to just take a quick pause on this for a moment just to teach you one thing real quick. If you've noticed here, okay, I'm going to take a quick pause. I know I, I'm just going to throw this out here because I, I think it's important for us to make mention of this. Is If you notice, even the scripture here brings reference to other texts that aren't in the Bible. The prophet of Edu, for example, that we see that the chronicling of the lives of these kings, the detailed chronicling of the lives of these kings can be found in books written by other prophets that were acknowledged by these prophets. This goes to the question of what makes scripture scripture and what makes this scripture a final authority? What makes this scripture a an authority of sorts? Because we see references to other books in the Bible. We see uh, uh, references to, to different prophets. And, 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 and if you ever want to learn more, the scripture is telling you, go to those prophets 
it's cueing those prophets. So the question then is, is why did we choose these books and why not bring the other prophets into these books? Why not bring the other um, texts into the scriptures? And why is it just this scripture? Because my short answer to you is this, is that the books in the Bible, their intention is to expose to you the revelation of Jesus Christ. While other books and other inform have good information and good insight, they don't bring to, to you the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it's not an omission that leads to a lack of information that keeps you from uh, attaining salvation or prohibits you from attaining strength or ability or power, whatever it is that most people seek to seek after. But rather, it's simply there to say to you, these are the collection of books that help bring clarity to what Christ has accomplished on the cross. This is the rubric by which we have chosen these books and the order by which we've chosen these books. And that's why it's critically important. That's why people go, well, what about the book of Enoch? Or what about the book of Edo? And what about, so there's all these other spiritual books and spiritual texts. Not to say that there isn't anything in those texts. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes references to those books. But the Bible, the whole purpose of the Bible is so that it's a collection of books that bring insight and understanding to the profundity of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Okay? And so that's why when we read Chronicles, what Chronicles does is, while it's a reiteration of first, we read we read a lot of these stories already, guys. Notice, we've already read these. We read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, we read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and we've read all of that, and now Chronicles seems to repeat, be repeating some things, but Chronicles is highlighting some details. I said this before, that if the book of Kings should be titled, Not Those Kings, what Second Chronicles is doing is, is Second Chronicles is informing us about why it was not those kings. These kings in the scripture that people like to bring up and quote and aspire to, these kings were kings who fell short of the glory of God. It's important for you to understand this. We, they're not the paradigms. These kings are not the examples of how we ought to live. These kings are not the examples of how we ought to be for those of us who are in Christ. These, these kings are an example of how we ought not to be and how much we desperately depend on the love and the grace of God. And so we see Asa, who's in this story, skipping some of the ones that we just read, because I really want to point this out. And I'm going to leave this with you today. Israel is part of a bigger global world narrative. And in the history of the world, there's a powerful African empire. And this powerful African empire is coming with a million to overtake Israel. Imagine you're Asa and you hear that there's an army of a million soldiers coming, coming with force, coming with power, coming with might. Imagine.
and you realize I don't have it. Imagine confronting an illness and realizing you don't have it. Imagine confronting a financial challenge and realizing you don't have it. Imagine you're Asa and you realize that you don't have it. And what does Asa do? Asa does the only thing he can do. He prays. And he asks for the mercy of God. And fast forward, because we're not going to go through all of that. You read it, so go back and read it. Asa finds victory over an enemy that he should have never been victorious over. And that's another conversation for another day, another story for another day. Because for many of us, I believe there are many of us here who can testify to this, that there's some victories that I have experienced and encountered in my life. It does not go by any credit. It does not go by luck or ability. It goes by simply the miraculous power and the grace of God. There are some people here who can testify that there's some things that I've overcome. I've overcome them, not by my ability, not by my mind, not by my education, Education, not by my, not by, not by anything that I was capable of. It was not fixed on my capacity. It was not based on my ability, but rather it was the grace of God that got me through it. Hasa has won, not by his might, but by the Spirit of God. I would like to think this story is good right now. This is good. I like it. I see the I see the moral of the story, but that's not actually the moral of the story. <laughs> the moral of the story is what happens afterwards. Also confronts an enemy that he cannot defeat. And his natural proclivity is to get on his knees and pray to God. But then when Asa confronts a challenge that seems within his capacity, Asa decides to take it up on himself. Pay attention to what's happening here. Asa hears the words, the prophetic words that are spoken by Oded. Scripture says he took courage. He did he did some great things, destroyed the idols, removed the idols. Another conversation for another day. And then look what it says at the end of chapter 15. It says, but the high places, um, sorry, in chapter, in chapter 15, if you look at uh, verse 18, it says, he also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated silver, gold, and utensils. And then it says in verse 19 that there was no war until the 35th year of his reign no war Asa's good there's no war until the 35th year so what happens in the 36th year what transpires now that changes things he's overcome this Ethiopian juggernaut he is torn down the idols He's in every, he's starting off good. 
Then Asa makes a treaty with Syria. Notice again. He makes a treaty with Syria to strengthen his own power. Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and from the king's house, and he sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus. Now he's giving up the things that he had dedicated to God. Isn't it funny how there are partnerships that we make where we take the things that we have dedicated to God and squandered it to other people? We make our heart our home and then we remove it and put somebody else in there. We take things that we have made sacred before God said, God, you can have this in my life and God, you can have that in my life and God, take control over my marriage and God, have your way. But then we go and we squander it to other people. He takes the things that were dedicated to God and and now he's selling them, bringing them to the Syrians. He gives them the Ben-Hadad king of Syria who dwelt in Damascus. He makes a treaty between them. Why? To establish his own political might and his own political power. What happens in the end? Ben-Hadad heeds King Asa and he sends the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. Notice now is that because he's fighting the Israel. so, So again, he sees a challenge up north, but I know how to win that one. The challenge that I have up north with the with the nation of Israel. If I squander the things I dedicate to God to create a partnership with this person, then I will be able to defeat the enemy that I'm being confronted. Notice what happens here. Asa is veering slowly and slowly and slowly away from his dependence on God to his dependence on man. And by consequence, Asa has now squandered and limited the power of God and the authority of God through him. Asa has sacrificed his covenant with God for covenant with a common man in order to defeat an enemy. And I, and I wonder how many of us have done that? How many of us, we were good with God until we found a person who had a common enemy as us. And so we, were, we made sacrifices and compromises with people we would have never been close to. But because of the enemy that we both are confronting, It may be a person I don't like, a person that's going up against me. Whatever challenge that I'm being confronted, I'm going to give up on that. I'm going to give up on what I've given to God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give up on what I've brought sacred to God. Just so you and I can work together in order to confront the common enemy. You know what? I told God I would give him my relational life. But because these bills are so high, I'm going to squander what's sacred and compromise what's sacred. Let's live together so that we can share the bills, so that we can confront a common enemy. I'm I'm compromising so that I can confront the enemy because now it's not about what God has done through me and what God can do and my dependence on God 
but rather it's my dependence on someone else who can help me overcome the challenges that I face. You know, we've got friends who the only reason why we're friends with them is because we have a common problem. We have, there are those of us right now who have people that we're living with. There's a guy who has a young lady that he's living with and the only reason why he's living with her is because she gives him a place to stay. There's some ladies here who the only reason why you're living with him, you know it ain't gonna work, but the only reason why you're living with him is because he helps me pay my bills. We have a common problem and a common enemy. So I'm going to squander what I've made sacred. Because together, we can overcome this challenge. Not realizing that the consequence of that is you've cut God out of your life. And we see this thing creeping and creeping. And and now Asa has made this treaty with Syria. Then Hanani, the seer, came to Asa and says to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hands. Then look what he says. Hanani says, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim, not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all the earth. Family, do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying, when you had something you couldn't overcome, you prayed. And did you not overcome? When you had, a, when you confronted an enemy that you could not defeat on your own, that overwhelmed you, what did you do? You prayed. And that overwhelming enemy was overwhelmed by the power and the wrath of God. But when you confronted something that seemed small to you, that you can handle, you took it up on yourself to come up with the answer on your own and did not invite and incorporate God into it. How many of us have done that, family? How many of us have squandered the grace of God? Because now we're confronting battles that we feel like we can handle on our own. It's the small battles. Ethiopia was a big battle. Israel was a small battle. He came to God for Ethiopia. He went to Syria for Israel. How many of us have some small battles right now? And those small battles, pay attention fam, it's the small battles that have caused us to squander the sacred things in our life. How many of us, it's the small battles 
little by little, that have eroded our relationship with our Heavenly Father. How many of us, it's actually the small battles that caused us to fall into the temptation of relying on ourselves and not relying on God. Family, what if it's the small battles that's keeping you from your relationship with God? Because the big battles you couldn't do on your own and all you had was God to confront and all you had was your knees and all you had was a prayer and all you had was the hope that God would show up. Oh, but the little battles. Oh no, you feel like you can do that on your own. I don't need God for that. And what if it's the little battles that have caused you to compromise your relationship with God? It's the small battles that we gotta be worried about. And it's the small battles that caused Asa to draw away from God. So what ought we to do? We ought to give God the small stuff and the big stuff, the little things and the big things, the little battles and the big ones, even the ones you feel like you can handle on your own, give it to God. Because if God helped you with a million soldiers, then sure enough, God can help you with a couple thousand. Why go to Syria and compromise your relationship with God for a thousand, but then depend only on God for a million? You know what I found, family, is that It's the big battles that bring us close to God. It's the small battles that draw us away from him. The big battles we can't handle on our own. So we get on our knees and we pray and we seek his face and say, Lord, some of us, it was that death sentence. It was that diagnosis from the doctor. It was that financial situation. It was the foreclosure letter that brought us so close to God. It was the divorce papers that brought us so close to God. It was the big battles that brought us close, but the small ones, no, I can do that on my own. And it was actually the amalgamation of all the small problems and the small battles in your life that actually drew you away from God. Be careful with the small ones. It's the small ones that kill you. And as I close, Asa just never got it back together. Asa was angry at the prophet. It's funny how we get mad at prophets. Another conversation for another day. Then Asa was angry with the seer. And he put the prophet in prison as if putting the prophet in prison was going to change. It, it, it was the He was the messenger. He's over here sh- shooting and killing the messenger. He was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. The man fell into precipitous decline. And then it says in verse 11, note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the books of Judah and Israel. 
also rested with his fathers and died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of King David, and they laid him in a bed which was filled with spices and various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ointments, and they made a great burning from him. Asa never turned. That's how it ended. He never turned. Never turned. Let us not be Asa. Let us repent. Let's seek his face. Like, like, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been I've been running my life on my own. Like I got this. I'm sorry. I've been living my my life like I got control over everything. I'm sorry. Lord, I want to I want to end my life in your hands and in complete dependence on you. So Father, I trust you with my children and I trust you with my breakfast. I trust you with my marriage and I trust you with my lunch. I trust you with my uh, business and I trust you with every small thing. I give it all to you, Father. That needs to be our prayer. And if we have ever depended on ourselves in our own power, let's just humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, I've been trying to run this thing on my own. Father, teach me to depend on you in everything. Lord, teach us to depend on you in everything. Everything. Teach us to depend on you with the big things and teach us to depend on you with the small things. Lord, there's no prayer too great for you and there's no prayer that's too small for you. And Lord, how easy it is for us to become self-reliant and self-sufficient and to simply ignore Lord, our continual and perpetual dependence on you. Father, I pray that you would bless each and every person who's here. Lord, that as they hear these words today, Lord, that they would examine their lives, evaluate their lives. Lord, that they would see, Lord, how greatly they depend and rely on you. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.